Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And you know, John, while you weren't here last week, they let me sing part of the open? Come on! It's the first thing. It's true. Wow, are they going to let me sing? No, definitely not. <laughs> so uh, we are coming to you the day after Game 6 of the uh, World Series, uh, the day of Game 7. Uh, we also have a big we have a big guest coming up, somebody who hasn't been on the show for a while. I uh, you may want to stay tuned for this one. Uh, we're going to be talking to Speaker Gingrich, and well, we'll, we'll, we'll there's anyway. We'll, we'll, let it let it speak for itself. Yeah, it's too good. It's too good. But but Rick, here we are. Uh, you know the the Washington uh, the the big story right now is uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Vinman and his uh, twin brother. Um, uh, it was what seems like some pretty dramatic testimony or you know, depositions again behind closed doors. Um, but, um, uh, you know, something, once again, we have somebody very significantly who was actually on the phone call, uh, with, uh, the president of Ukraine, um, and somebody who raised alarms in real time. And we've learned from the New York times, uh, breaking the story that he was also concerned, uh, about the transcript, uh, being incomplete. Um, and what's interesting about this is you have a guy who is a decorated army officer, um, combat veteran Iraq, Purple Heart, um, uh, among his, his, his uh, you know, I mean, th- th- this this is somebody who is um, who has served the country, and we have seen him vilified uh, to a to to a pretty amazing extent. So much so, uh, vilified by the way by the president himself. So much so that we uh, we heard uh, that Liz Cheney, the, uh, the the conference chair in the House for Republicans, actually addressed the conference about this and told them, "Knock it off. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not going to do that." Yeah, so th- th- there's a lot of interesting parts of this storyline, and it's, these are confusing storylines to to follow. So you focus, to my mind, uh, on the superlatives here. This is the first current White House official to testify. This is the first person who was actually on the phone call to testify. Uh, and he's the first to suggest, uh, again, according to the New York Times reporting, that the transcript is actually incomplete, that there are other things that were discussed, uh, including explicit mentions, according to the Times, of a videotape of Biden or tape on Biden, uh, Burisma uh, specifically being mentioned in the conversation. Uh, the White House, of course, has, has uh, said that the transcript was a complete record. The president himself said that it was comma for comma, exactly cr- accurate, exactly correct. Uh, now we hear from Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, who says that actually he tried to get that record corrected. He was rebuffed in that. Uh, and that he, as someone who actually listened to the call, was sufficiently alarmed that he went up through the change of chain of command at the National Security Council to, to raise it. And to my mind, this... This becomes more significant with what he says about the transcript because it's not just about a different interpretation of a phone call that everyone knows about. He actually heard the phone call and, again, was so worried about what it was uh, that he raised concerns in real time. But, you know, I have to say that, again, this was a closed-door deposition, so we, 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 have, we only know what we've heard. We've seen his opening statement. We've, we've heard people coming out talking about it. Um, but as I understand it, he – has not suggested a motive. It wasn't like he's saying this was covered up. Um, what we were told, there are a few ellipses. Uh, ellipses. I think ellipses. ellipses. I'll go with okay. ellipses. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah. uh, in, in the transcript, uh, and what we were told at the time is that's where the kind of voice trails off. Uh, as we understand, there are no audio recordings. Um, there's no audio recording of this, but they used a uh, you know computer program that transcribes as the words are coming over the uh, over the phone. Um, so I I don't know that what he says he wanted corrected would ultimately have changed much the the the, the content of the call. I mean, it would have been interesting, you know, if, if, if there's this reference to uh, to Brisma and there's this reference to, 
you know, to, to voice recordings um, of Biden. But um, but you know, he hasn't suggested that this is that this is part of a big cover up. The other big story here, uh, Rick, is that the House will be voting on a resolution that we, you know, Pelosi's been uh, careful not to call it a uh, authorizing the impeachment inquiry, but it kind of looks that way to yeah. me. Um, I mean, it's setting forth the procedures for public hearings and other things that re- Republicans have been demanding. Um, and, uh, and, and by, you know, voting on those procedures, the House is, I mean, I mean, how, how is that not authorizing in the impeachment process? So my question for you, John, is, th- is, he, is she caving to pressure or is she calling a bluff by having this vote? Because Republicans have been saying for weeks now this is an illegitimate process. Uh, that's been even an argument that the president's lawyers have been making in court to say they don't need to cooperate. Uh, by going out and, and having to have this vote, is she having to have this vote to, to justify a process that here to now has not been on the, sh- the, the firmest legal footing? Or is she staking a claim here with her members saying, look, I've got 218 who are willing to stand on the record and say, yes, this has to happen. I, I think that she's looking to the, the, the court proceedings and she doesn't want to have a potential uh, argument that could be used uh, against this process in, in, in court. So I think it is it is to a degree caving to pressure but not necessarily political pressure. And I would also uh, point out that it wasn't just Republicans that were demanding a vote. You had a lot of Democrats yeah. wondering why she wasn't going forward and having a vote. She clearly had more than 218 votes to go forward. Um, and by the way, you know, the, this whole question of public versus private uh, uh, hearings, depositions, you know, I mean, in, in, in many congressional investigations in the past, you've had a, two, a two-step process, you know, beginning with, with depositions and then, and, then, and then moving. I mean, even going back to um, – you know, you go back to the Army and McCarthy uh, 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 hearings. Some of those uh, closed-door depositions that happened before the public hearings that we all, you know, we, we, we've seen all the footage of over the years. Um, s- some of those uh, transcripts remain sealed until fairly recently. Mm. Um, you know, where, 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 where the seal was lifted. So it's so there is some precedent for for a committee working first behind closed doors. But ultimately, you've got to get this stuff out out in public. You can't go forward with an impeachment process. And voting on articles of impeachment if you haven't had public hearings. Yeah, and in talking to Democrats of, about this, they've always known that at some point they're going to turn toward public testimony. This has been only, it feels like it's going on forever, John, but it's been basically five weeks now since this whole story broke. It, you know, we, we, we did a debate in the middle of September and this wasn't even a story yet, it wasn't even brought yep. up, the whole issue. Uh, so this has all happened so quickly in, in, this, in this compressed time frame. I think, though, you know, I, I'm, I'm more on the side of calling bluffs on this one than, than caving to pressure. I think you're right about the legal piece of it. But I think Pelosi's making a statement with this. And actually, she's now – she's going to put her members on record. They're going to actually have a recorded vote behind what heretofore has been um, – there's no consequences for calling a bunch of witnesses and closed-door testimony. Her members are going on the line, and they're saying this. And some of them are going to be in battleground districts. Some of them are going to be in votes in districts that uh, that voted for Donald Trump. And they're going to come out and say, yes, this, this inquiry has to proceed. Now, there will be a couple who don't say it. But you start to put some pressure on Republicans about whether this is even a valid process. And I think I think they're going to be crossing a threshold that you can't go back from, even if on the off chance that this all fizzles and the Democrats don't actually bring articles of impeachment. This is going to be a recorded vote in the House of Representatives laying out this process. It's going to be seen as, as a proxy vote on impeachment. Absolutely. And, and, and what, what do you think? Uh, how many Republicans do you think actually end up voting? See, it's interesting. I, this vote won't necessarily be mirror the the actual vote on articles of impeachment when we get there because on the one hand you could see potentially more republicans voting for this because it's like well let's move forward let's have public hearings we at least need to investigate 
But I could also see a scenario where you have fewer um, because you've, you've got reasons to vote against this that have nothing to do with the underlying uh, issues being investigated, you know, uh, when, you know, the whole question of whether or not the Republicans should have subpoena power, uh, questions about the fairness of the process. You could see somebody who even ultimately will ultimately, will ultimately vote for uh, an article of impeachment not voting for this resolution. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that camp. I mean, Justin Amash isn't a Republican anymore, so I'm, I'm going to go with less than one Republican. Yeah, on this one. On this one. It's a free vote for them. And because wherever it, wherever they end up landing on impeachment, they can say, look, they're not empowering minority rights. This is uh, this is Speaker Pelosi and her allies that are muscling this thing through. I don't think they, I don't think people that might otherwise vote for impeachment later would see a downside in voting against this now. Uh, and you'll have a couple of Democrats. Some have already said it on the record that they don't see the case for impeachment and they realize where this is. Uh, where this is headed, so they, it won't be it won't be a hundred percent party line with all the Democrats versus all of the Republicans. It'll be close to that. Uh, and the vote won't go forward if they don't have the votes. We know that they're not going to lose a vote like this. The fact that they've talked about it suggests that they know they have the votes to do yeah. it. And 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 it starts a process in it in it in an important way. And I think it marks an inflection point in this in this discussion. And when we start having those public hearings, look, we've heard it from Democrats, John, over the last couple of weeks. They know that they're not doing impeachment as some kind of academic exercise or just to put a mark on the president's permanent record. They realize that the point of impeachment is removal from office. And that's not going to happen without the public being on board for it. They, the senators aren't going to suddenly flip unless the public moves them there. And that's not going to happen with closed-door testimony. That has to happen with public testimony. And if they can make you, the case, then, they, then that's how they'll do it. So, so you've seen what we've, what's happened uh, based on the release of opening statements and, and, and frankly, the leaks that have come out yeah. from these depositions. Do you think that what we've seen from this kind of cast of, of, of you know, it's a, it's a public servants, State Department officials, now we've got uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, um, is this the kind of thing that moves the public or, or no? People have dialed into it. We've seen that in polling. The people are dialed into to what's going on, and they've seemed to be broad support for the inquiry, uh, if not for um, impeachment and removal. People have been split on on that. We have seen intense interest in the storyline, and uh, yes, it'll break down upon party lines. Yes, they, you're not going to. I think you'll have a good portion of Republicans who will never, ever, ever support that. We get that, uh, but I, I do think that people are taking in information and are open to hearing where the story ends. And the more witnesses that emerge, frankly, people like like Colonel Vindman, what his public testimony would be like. This is a man who has unimpeachable credentials. One of my favorite details on this is that he literally was was a was a poster child for the immigrant experience in a Ken Burns documentary. That's amazing, isn't it? He and his brother, yeah. Unbelievable little twist of history. And, and it is a, a quintessentially American story. A man who uh, served his country, uh, has served his country, still active duty, a Purple Heart recipient, uh, worked in public service, worked in public life. He and his brother uh, both have these positions in the White House. And the fact that he would go out there in defiance of the White House's uh, uh, state wish, knowing about the vitriol that will head his way as a nonpartisan person, uh, and, and, and give, his, give his views to members of Congress, that, that could have a particular power. When he showed up there, John, in his full uniform, his full dress uniform, that was a powerful moment. So, so when he testifies, assuming he'll testify in public hearing, which I've got to believe he will, and I assume he'll show up in his uniform, it'll be the most highly anticipated testimony of a lieutenant colonel 
since Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Oliver North is all I can think about. <laughs> yes, under much different circumstances. Yes, very different but, circumstances. But, but, so, John, uh, who, who is the who's the ultimate witness in this? Is it John Bolton? Like, do, what, what's what's your thinking on Bolton's cooperation and what kind of story he might have to tell? Is there someone else? Are there other are there other Vinmans in this storyline that we don't know yet? Uh, people that are not household names but might have very interesting details to share. I mean, to me, the one the one that I'm most interested in is uh, is John Bolton, and 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 that's what this court case is all about regarding uh, Charles Kupperman, who was his deputy and then acting national security advisor for a, for for a minute or two. Um, you know, he's he's been subpoenaed to testify. Kupperman has. We haven't had that yet with Bolton. Um, he's been subpoenaed to testify. He um, I- instead of showing up, he has said he has he has asked the court to decide who do I obey? Do I obey the Congress who has subpoenaed me or the executive branch which has told me not to testify? It's actually a fascinating case. And again, I think it's a big reason why we ultimately had this vote on on, on the impeachment procedures going forward. Um, But that case will, I believe, determine whether or not we ultimately hear from Bolton. Bolton Bolton has seen it all. Um, You know, Bolton was not on this call, the Ukraine call. But Bolton, you know, Bolton was there. Well, all of this stuff was going on, and Bolton had a very different view on Russia, a very different view on Ukraine, um, a very different view on a whole, a whole range of other national security issues uh, while he was the national security advisor, a very different view from the president. And how much of that comes out and how much Bolton was kind of horrified by what he saw uh, unfolding, I frankly don't know the answer. I mean, I know, I know where he stood policy-wise uh, in opposition to uh, to the president, He's, even as he was serving as his national security advisor. Um, but I don't know. Is Bolton the kind of guy that's going to come out there and give dramatic testimony uh, that, that makes the president look bad? Or is he, you know, is, is he ultimately still, uh, you know, he's a party player. He's a party guy. He is. He's an ideologue. Uh, he's got a very, you know, very strong views uh, about the way the world works on national security. He's a very sharp guy. Uh, his views have not wavered uh, over the years, um, but I don't know if he goes out in dramatic testimony and you know and basically uh, takes down the president. That would not be that would not be characteristically John Bolton. But I I don't know. No, and, no, and I, mean, I, I, I want to hear. That's the one I want to hear. I, I I'm, I'm with you on that, and and I th- my best read would be he's not going to say or do anything that he doesn't think benefits the national security of the country. Um, and however he defines that. And as he, he defines, defines it, it, yes. As he defines it at that moment, I think that's going to be the guiding light. He's not going to take down a president for, taking, for, the, for the purposes of taking down a president. That's not, I yep. think, how John Bolton thinks about things. But he had very real, as you say, very real disagreements about what the right thing to do uh, in real time was. And he, by others' accounts, was troubled by the role that Rudy Giuliani was playing in this, was troubled yep. by the fact that there was this other whole means of communication. By the way, I'd love to see that testimony, too. <laughs> that that would be something. Yeah, that would yeah. be something. See Rudy to see Rudy up there. So uh, anyway, uh, re- let's take a quick break. Like I said, we have and just trust me on this one. Stick around. We got Newt Gingrich coming up next. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics, and we are joined now by former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich uh, and the current uh, spouse of the Ambassador to the Vatican. Welcome, Speaker Gingrich. Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, you've got a new book out. I, I, as I understand, it's your 36th book, depending on how we count. Uh, Trump right. versus China, facing America's greatest threat. But I, I want to get started with something you said earlier this week, and I, 
And I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to, to, you know, to frankly clean up something uh, that you said. I'm, I'm, I want to play it right here. If I had had the ability to do it, there wouldn't be a White House press corps in the White House. You okay. don't, wouldn't. You would not. That? Because they're all they're all the enemies of the president. I mean, why would you call on people who get up every morning saying, "I hate Donald Trump"? I wonder how I can make his life well, miserable. Okay, so I, I got to believe you didn't mean that. What do you want me to? What do you want me to clean up? Well, I've got to believe you didn't mean that. I, I've known you which, for. Which I've known you for years. Uh, I, I've never gotten the sense that you were afraid of uh, of taking questions from reporters. Um, I'm not. Uh, so, so why are you suggesting that the president should be sheltered from the White House press corps, a, a press corps that has been at the White House regularly since uh, since Grover Cleveland? Why, why do you think that? Are you afraid that that, that Donald Trump can't handle it? That that I mean, what what no, why? I think I think well, if you, I believe the way the White House press corps has evolved, it is largely incestuous. It's a group of people who are trapped in an, in a compound where they sit around and talk all day they think they're they think they're more important than they are and and in the in the current environment uh my guess is that overwhelmingly they voted against trump and overwhelmingly they have contempt for trump look go, go back and read uh, franklin Delano roosevelt's first press briefing in 1933 which was totally secret and he said if and you you can cite a senior White House source, and if any of you violate this, you will not be back here ever again. So this this notion that the the televised people who get to be famous by trying to score points against the president is the only model you can have is just not true. Well, I mean, you're you're proposing it would seem to me more of like a a, a North Korea or a China model of just let, let's move the press out. I, I, I find it again. I find it bewildering coming wait, wait, from oh, you. Wait, wait. I, just, I just cited the president. Of the United okay, States no, no, but, but you cited the president of the, of the United States surrounded by reporters uh, at the White House in, in, in 1933. Uh, in, a, I, in, a, in a meeting which they weren't allowed to report, they could not cite the president. Okay, fine. I, I, I don't even understand what your point is. I, I, I am, I am just saying that for a guy like you, and, and I've, I've interviewed you, God knows how many times, as a, as a, as a, as a leader right. in Congress, as a presidential candidate, uh, as uh, you know, like, like, like we're talking here on, on this podcast, and I've never seen you uh, worried about taking questions uh, from me or from any other reporter. You, 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 in, in, you, 19, in 1995, I tried the experiment of routinely having an on-camera briefing for the press. And within a few weeks, I dropped it because it, became, it got to be a game of gotcha. And people would come in with highly pointed questions, uh, often briefed by the Democrats, uh, primarily designed to embarrass me. And after a couple of weeks of that, we thought, what's, what's the point? Okay, so, so I, I want to be clear. Full disclosure here, because you, you made a statement about the White House press corps. I am the president of the White House Correspondents Association. I am the chief White House correspondent for this network. Right. I go to the White House... I go to briefings. I question the president. I question uh, senior administration officials. Back when they actually had briefings with the press secretary, I asked questions. Right. I asked serious questions. I asked pointed questions. I did it under President Obama, President Bush. I was there for a little bit under President Clinton. And so I, 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 take, I take issue with your characterization. And what's interesting to me, uh, Speaker Gingrich, is when you made those comments uh, on, uh, on CBSN, you were asked about a question – 
that I asked Mick Mulvaney. And, and, and that was your suggestion that, well, these people come to work every day saying, how can I get Donald Trump, hate Donald Trump? I, that, that is not why I come to work every day. I come to work every day to, to try to uh, uh, figure out what is going on, get to the truth as, I, as, as best I can. And I asked Mick Mulvaney a question, and, I, and if you please tell me how this is a gotcha question. I asked Mick Mulvaney, why was the military aid to Ukraine held up? That was my question. Right. How is that anything but an appropriate question? I, look, I'm not going to debate with you over your question. But that was, that was what prompted podcast, you saying that the, 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 the press should be out of the this. White House. What I'll tell you this. If you were to go back and just take all the various comments and all the various questions over the last couple of years, they are consistently hostile. And they're consistently designed to embarrass the president. Well, first of all, you sound like like some members of the Obama communications operation, um, when when he was president, talking about the way I was questioning uh, the the, the then press secretary or or the president. And and it's not the case. They're not gotcha. These are... This is the president of the United States. This is the senior officials at the White House. I, I think that right. given, given the responsibility that they have been given by the American people, they can handle some questions. What, what, I mean, what are you afraid of? I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. I, I, I believe the American – look, this is a president who studies have suggested gets 92 percent negative coverage. This, this is a president who the New York Times has routinely reported on falsely. And then had and, and and had to ultimately say the stories weren't true. I mean, take take the case of the current whistleblower who turns out not to be a whistleblower, whose letter turns out not to be true, and who the Democrats are now so embarrassed about that they are, they're thinking about not even calling him, even though he was the cause of the current investigation. Now, do you, do you think anybody at the Post or the Times is going to write a lengthy story about how they were duped? No. They just move okay, on to okay. the next attack on so Trump. I, 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 we can go on and discuss that, but I want to, before we leave the question, though, you are proposing, what you've said, is to ban the free press from no. the White House. I said, no, I talked about the White House press corps. Okay, well, okay, so... It, Look, uh, I, I think there are thousands of reporters in America. I think there are lots of people who don't wake up in the morning automatically hostile, Uh and I mean, you may, look. You you think the stories or the studies that indicate ninety two percent of the coverage of Trump has been negative or false? Do, you think do, he's do, actually do you had think, a fair and neutral press coverage? Uh, well, we we can have a debate about the press coverage. I'm talking about the presence of the press corps at the White House. Do you think I should not be allowed to go to the White House and report? I, I think that it would be healthier to to have people come in who aren't automatically part of a small group. And I so, think it would be healthier to have a broader range of people. And by the way, if you go back and read Theodore White's Making of the President in 1972, and you read his chapter on the news media's relentless hostility to Nixon, it reads like today. And, and White, of course, was a man who revered the press, was himself a reporter, and what he described was, was a level of cultural hostility very comparable to what's happening to Trump. So, no, I, I don't think the president has an automatic obligation to try to communicate to the American people through a group of people who are relentlessly hostile to him. So you think I that actually the... think this president is, is overly available and gets himself in trouble by being too available. So you think that the president of the United States, whether it be a Donald Trump or a Barack Obama or an Elizabeth Warren, you think the president of the United States should pick and choose which reporters can come and have access to the White House based on how they treat him or her in the White House? 
I, I that's what you're suggesting. It's like, like the, Franklin Roosevelt, or if you go back to Abraham Lincoln, you will find that presidents did not think that they were in fact subjected to some to some automatic group who had defined themselves as the press. And, so, and Lincoln was a pretty good manipulator of the press and pretty careful about how he did it. But but but, he, but my question, can you answer my question? All I'm you, saying is, and you don't you don't want to admit this, so we can we can end this in a second. But I'm just telling you. Uh, no president in my lifetime, including Nixon, has had the consistent, unending hostility that Trump has faced. Now, sh- now surely you will concede that. Look, I, 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 we, we can have a discussion about, about the tone of, of overall media coverage. I would, I, I, I'm, I'd be very critical of some aspects of the media coverage of, of this president, of the previous president. Um, but what I am asking you about is a fundamental bedrock principle, which is... We have a free press in this country sure. that is able to question and hold account those in power. And those in power do not pick and choose who get to uh, have access to the highest levels of our government of based, on, based on whether or not uh, they, 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 they like what they write or, or report. And I, think I think that's a and dangerous principle. I think you'd principle. find if you went back and in I, history that that's just philip- – that, that is a modern fantasy of the press corps. And I understand it's valuable to you guys and I, it's fine with me. Okay. You have your view, I have my view. But as a historian, I don't take it all that seriously. This, this, is, this is a modern uh, evolution that is different than it has been in the past. I think, FD, I think FDR would have laughed at that concept. I think FDR would also be surprised by the media environment you see today, Twitter and, and the rest. I, I want to ask about impeachment because you mentioned the whistleblower. And two questions on this. First, does the whistleblower really matter anymore given what's on the public record? Uh, and second, well of, if, well, of course he doesn't matter why? anymore because he served his purpose. He was the excuse for starting the fight. Okay, so the, 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 you, you, you talked about the importance of knowing who the whistleblower is and, uh, and well, of, of is, media. Sure. But, but why, why even – why does it matter at all? Isn't, isn't because, the- because, because the, look, there are two alternative universes here. The universe I believe in says that 70% of the people who favor impeachment favored impeachment the morning after the election. They want to impeach Trump not for what he did, whether it's Ukraine or anything else. They want to impeach Trump for being Trump. And, you, and, the, and the polling data, by, by the way, shows that. So, so I start from the premise... This was just the latest excuse. They were all holding their breath, hoping that Mueller was going to give them a report. When, when we impeached Trump, uh, Clinton, we had 11 counts of guilty in the independent counsel report, including perjury, which was a felony. 11 counts. When Mueller reported after two solid years, he had zero counts of guilty. Never used the word guilty once. So now they had to go out and find somebody new. And if they hadn't found this whistleblower, they'd have found somebody else. And if it wasn't Ukraine, it would be something else. But it is Ukraine. I mean, that, that, the, the point is But it's that- not Ukraine. Look, this, this whole thing, I mean, how, how many, let me give you an example. When Barack Obama, with an open mic, happened by mistake to say to Medvedev, gee, wait until after the election, I can give you a much better missile deal. It strikes me that that, that was at least fully uh, as weird a thing as anything Donald Trump said. But, of course, not a single person would have suggested in any way that, that Obama should be held accountable for promising the Russian president a better deal after the election. I think the quote was flexibility, right? That was the, that's the quote you're referring to? What? That he, that he said he, he wanted to communicate flexibility? Right. Yeah. I don't, uh, okay. So uh, I want to ask about the, the vote that we're expecting now in the House to, uh, to go ahead with, impe- with an impeachment inquiry. You're a man of the House. You know the, how it works. Does sure. that legitimize the inquiry? No. Does this vote – why not? not 
Well, because because what they're offering is bo- just baloney. I had to edit myself. But you know, it's a podcast. You can do what you want, Mr. Speaker. But, but yeah, no, the, but a vote, but a vote in the House of Representatives, if it passes. And look, it's it's a vote for a resolution that is totally phony. It gives the Republicans no real authority. It gives the president no real authority. And by the way, it starts with with thousands of pages of secret material gathered by Schiff in a totally one-sided star chamber manner uh, in secret. And doesn't, you know, the first thing you ought to say is all of those will now be available. The president can now look at them. The Republicans in the House can now look at them. You think they're going to release all that stuff? No. I mean, we had a report, yes, I think it was yesterday, by Jim Jordan, that Schiff's actually telling witnesses not to answer Republican questions. But if there's, if, if this lays out public hearings, does that legitimize the well, effort? Wait, or is it, all... public hearing, it lays out public hearings after they've spent months creating a record that's secret that allows them to then shape the hearings. It doesn't allow the Republicans to have the rights we gave the Democrats in 1998 or the rights that the Democrats gave Republicans in 1973. It's not modeled on what Peter Rodino did, and we took literally exactly the Peter Rodino model and used it. So the difference between what we did and what Rodino did and what Pelosi did is just pathetic. And I've always loved, by the way, that the Washington Post, who's current slogan is democracy dies in darkness, hasn't screamed about Schiff holding secret hearings. You know, it's been fine with the Post. As long as the darkness is liberal, they don't care. But, but now they're talking about opening the hearings up. Your, your view yeah, is that even that doesn't... The next phase of hearings up under a rigged set of rules in which the president still has limited ability and in which the Republican, even the Republican ranking member, according to this resolution, will have very limited capacity. So it's a totally one-sided thing. Uh, and and it is all rig- is all designed to rig the game. Um, Speaker Gish, are you comfortable with the way Republicans are talking about Lieutenant Colonel Vinman? This is a decorated Army officer, a combat. I have no veteran. idea. I haven't seen what they've said, and I've always, since my dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Army, I've always had great respect for people who serve the country. Well, the president himself has, has tweeted he's deep state. Uh, we we saw uh, you know on Fox News. Uh, uh, a suggestion that, that he could be a spy uh, coming from John Yu, talking with Laura Ingram. Um, we, we've, I mean, the, the, the guys, well, well, let's just listen to what, um, what Liz Cheney, how she's reacted to this. We need to show that we are better than that as a nation. Their, their patriotism, their love of country. We're talking about decorated veterans who have served this nation, who have put their lives on the line. It is shameful to question their patriotism their love of this nation, and we should not be involved in that process. I mean, she's troubled so by I agree this. With, I agree with Liz Cheney. Does it, the president's called, called him a never-Trumper. Does that, first of all, do you, do you know of any evidence behind that? And is that even relevant if someone, if someone you know, I mean, how does that like come most, into it? You know, I've done about 50 interviews on Trump versus China. And if you want to understand why I think the Washington press corps uh, is, is incestuous. This is the first one in which the whole interview has been about a bunch of political garbage. And it's very disappointing. And I just have to tell you, I mean, I'm, I am truly disappointed. And if I'd understood this was the interview you were going to do, I would not have accepted it. Because I'm, you know, you, you have trivialized down to the latest current reason to attack Trump. And I'm not going to defend Trump on this stuff. Uh, but I, but I, I just want you to know, this has been stunningly, I, I can't tell you how disappointed I am in this interview.
Well, I hope you keep that in the podcast. We're, we're, we're oh, I'll absolutely keep that in the podcast, People sir. understood that I wrote a serious book about what may be the most important topic about our national survival. I just did an entire event last night at USC and had young Chinese students standing up saying how correct the book was, how tragic it was, uh, how deeply moved they were as Chinese by the problems that are happening in their country. But, of course, that's not a topic as important is whatever the latest gotcha is to gripe about Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang up on you now, because I am truly, deeply disappointed in the whole way you've handled this. And it, it exactly personifies why I think the White House press corps is sucked into looking at its own navel and thinking that whatever the latest gossip is, is the key to the universe. And it's truly, I know, I've known you for years, and you ought to go back and listen to this interview and ask yourself, was this really the right thing to do? When you had a chance to talk about a subject as big as China, I'm I'm just terribly disappointed. Goodbye. Well, there you go, Rick. There we have it. There we have it. I mean, I have to say I uh, was shocked uh, and stunned by what uh, former Speaker Gingrich said about banning the press from the White House. And that's Mm -hmm. why I dove in the way I did on that, that that was immediate and pressing. Yeah, and and uh, and not trivial, and said in the context of of the book story he's doing here. Look, and if, and if Speaker Gingrich is is continuing to listen to the podcast because you know, leaving the entire exchange in uh, what we, we, I don't remember getting hung up on before. Is this a first for our podcast? It could be a first. It okay, could be okay. a first. Yeah, yeah. So look, I, I am I'm I am sorry to you, Mr. Speaker, that you feel disappointed about this. I will defend, though, to the ends of the earth, our right to ask these questions. They are relevant and real questions. Um, uh, not to take away anything from the message of the book. The book's out there, Trump versus China by Speaker Gingrich. It says it right here in the cover. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author. He'll get the word out in lots of different ways. This book will do very well. Important. Book number 36 is going to do fine, probably even better than book number 35. That's right. It, but it's part of the gig. Just for full disclosure, people understand that when individuals write books, they look to do interviews around them, and they often and always, to my mind, answer what's going on in the news. And as the former Speaker of the House who led the last impeachment hearings that happened in this nation's history, I think asking him to comment directly on the circumstances around those, including his comments on the free press, are very legitimate. Very legitimate. It's also slightly ironic that uh, that he hung up just as you were prepared to ask about China. I wanted to ask about the book. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about the Rick book. Rick literally okay. has the book in his I hand have it right, right here. Now. I was Look ready to ask about it, Mr. Speaker, and we're happy to have you back on at and another we'll talk time. China. Talk I, about I, that. I've got lots and, I want to talk about. And by and the way, China's not a subject that we've avoided. No. I mean, no, how many? A big one. I mean, how many stories have we done for our broadcasts? For uh, you know, how many? I mean, go on. You know, give me a break. But um, anyway, that was an interesting interview, Rick. There you go. There you Let's go. go Nats. In- interesting times. Let's go Nats. One more, one more game. The country can come together on that at least. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get that going. All right. That's all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>